Hey all, it's been kind of a toss-up trying to decide what to talk about this week, so I'm going with the most recent, adding my voice to the voice of so many others in the hope that our voices may finally reach the appropriate volume level that we may drown out all those who are shouting on the other side. Let's all be the Mark Twain type of patriot, the person who can holler the loudest without knowing what he is hollering about. When I arose on Wednesday, the 4th of November, the United States was yet a couple of hours away from the first presidential prophecy, declaiming that the incumbent had won and that any election result that indicated the contrary was fraudulent. The data I could see at about midnight U.S. time was yet inconclusive, took me back to the moment I went to bed back in 2016, when the results were too close to call, rising the next morning only to find that the call was too close. I was one of those who hoped for some kind of landslide repudiation of the job performance and overall morally deficient and often downright criminal behavior of the yet current President of the United States. I was naturally concerned about the possibility of his reaping another four years, but that feeling was overwhelmed by a feeling of total disappointment in the American people. I was left with a question in my mind. How could these people still vote for that man after what he's done? That's a question many of my Spanish friends asked me, now several days later, now that the winner has been called, now that, at least for now, the other one won. That Wednesday, my disappointment left me vulnerable to attitudes I had when at university in the early Reagan administration years. I wasn't particularly political at the time, but some of the political atmosphere must have bled into my psyche. I wrote a damning play called The Death Dealer that dealt out moralistic lessons and responsibility to leaders who seemed to shirk theirs. I fell into a Brecht attitude of The world is poor and I'm a shit, and that is all there is to it. Of course that's all there is to it. The world is poor and man's a shit. The world is poor and man's a shit, and that is all there is to it. I had very little faith in my fellow humans. So, when asked how even more Americans than last time could vote for Trump, my first answer was that they were just too stupid to know what they were doing. That is not the case, though. I know at least one Trump voter in the 2016 election who is not stupid. Let's call him Steve. According to Steve, his vote went to Trump mainly because he did not want it to go to Hillary. One of those, it's time to shake things up a bit, get out of the rut kind of justifications. I also know at least one Trump voter who falls into the category of follow the leader, cult-like devotion. Let's call her Paula. Paula votes for Trump because she is convinced that anyone who isn't Trump will push the USA violently over the precipice of socialism and take away her guns to boot. Now, I think those who voted like Steve probably rethought their vote this time around. The shake-up of the system hasn't gone all that well, and certainly wasn't worth all the drama and noise that came along with it. As many headlines read these days, uh, let's hope that Biden makes politics boring again. You listeners in the States may not know, but during Obama's terms, he wasn't really ever all that much news over here on the continent. The past four years have had Trump on our television screens at least a couple of times a week, and sometimes every day, and it's not usually good news being reported. The ones who voted like Paula, well, that's a difficult group that can easily be categorized as those stupid sacks of shit, or as Hillary puts it, deplorables. Neither of those two classifications, though, is fair, though in some few cases they could be true. 
I personally believe that the attraction that Donald Trump had for those 71 million people who voted for him this time around was the good old fear-slash-salvation formula so often used by cult leaders to keep their acolytes in line. Take a few examples. Paula, who I've already introduced, is afraid of something called socialism. The most probable case here is that she has been told, or has read on Facebook, that socialism is the opposite of democracy or capitalism, that it will make her an invisible cog in a larger machine, rob her of her individual mandate to do what she pleases, when she pleases, because it is her right. One of those rights, naturally, is the right to carry an arm. So if Trump wins, he has promised that he will not allow America to become a socialist country. He will stop any socialistic programs pushed by the liberals, and he will protect that Second Amendment. Those libs won't be taking anyone's gun away. Kermit worked in a coal mine. He'd like to get back down into the hole again. It's been years since he's made a decent wage. There's no unemployment for him. His kids are dirty and hungry. His wife's fed up. They're scratching by on food stamps, odd jobs, and that backyard garden. He's afraid he'll never work again in the only thing he knows how to do. Those damn liberals with their clean energy plans are ensuring that coal mines are phased out. Trump not only has promised that the coal mining job will come back, he has exposed the dangers, the real dangers involved with windmills. They kill birds, and the noise causes cancer. Won't be any libs taking coal mining jobs away. Dan works in an auto parks factory. His union has put him and his co-workers out on strike a couple of times in the past couple of years because the company is wanting to close the factory and send the production line to some other company where labor will be cheaper. What's more, Dan's factory is a supplier for a larger factory that has indeed closed. Dan is afraid of losing his job, losing his retirement. He's built up a bit of debt over the years, counting on the steady work at the factory to have his back. Trump promised that those auto jobs would be rolling back. Ain't no libs gonna take away your paycheck. Shelley lives at the end of a cul-de-sac. Don't you just love that French name? Sounds so much more cultural than dead end. That cul-de-sac is in a residential neighborhood about an hour's drive away from a larger city that she rarely visits. She doesn't need to. Her kids are bused to the local schools. She's got a fine strip mall just a few minutes away with a Kroger and a Midas and a whole section dedicated to the most popular takeaway fast food shops in the country. What she is afraid of is that this idyllic lifestyle she has can be stamped out by that new housing development over there. She's heard that it is going to be social housing, which can only mean the projects, which can only mean people living in blocks of apartments. No front lawns, no backyards, no privacy. Who would live that way? Why, those people who don't need a can of spray to have a nice tan, of course. Trump has promised to stop those projects, have to protect the suburbs from taking on the ghettos that really belong to those liberal cities. No lib is going to take away your lawn sprinkler and curbside garbage collection. 
The whole Trump thing, being the show that it has been, is summed up for me in a couple of anecdotes. The first, who knows if it is true, I can only say that I didn't make it up, relates to Trump recovering from his bout with COVID-19. Seems that he asked an aide to bring him a Superman t-shirt that he could wear under his usual white button-down shirt. His plan was to hold a press conference on the steps of Walter Reed and rip open his shirt to demonstrate just who he really is, the only man who can save us. The other is the truly remarkable story about a certain faction of the world's population, principally American liberals, Democrats, movie stars, some musicians, and other elite people who lean to the so-called left, the sinister side of political opinion, of course, who are involved in a cabal, an underworld league of evil. The main activity of this diverse group involves kidnapping children, having sex with those children, drinking their blood to stay young, and finally eating their tender bodies. Everything that this group does on a public, visible level is meant to support and feed their never-ending hunger for child sex, blood, and flesh. And Donald Trump is the only person who can save us from their evil plot. And he is actually doing so. No libs are going to eat my kids. That last one is the culmination of motives for disappointment. I could whine about Mitch McConnell and those other so-called Republican senators who are so obviously throwing their morals, their convictions, their service under the bus to support and promote a dying breath continuance of the Trump discourse. I don't think McConnell subscribes to the QAnon nonsense. However, a thinking person wants to shout at him, What's wrong with you, man? Can't you see you're on the last lap yourself? Have you no personal dignity? Haven't you realized how your support of this man beyond reason has left you looking like an idiot? Or worse, an enabler? What deep, dark secret do you have? What dead person have you got in your office cupboard? What are you afraid of that leads you to being almost as impresentable as a public servant as the man you service with your uncaring support? Or maybe even a more telling question. Do you people really need the support of Donald Trump in order to win elections? Do you really think he is the Midas of election victory? You mean that, despite of all the years of fixing districts and making voting difficult for those who might vote for the other party, all those PACs and all that money, you still can't win a couple of Senate seats in Georgia without the blessing of Trump? That the answer to these questions is yes, we need Trump and his supporters, so clearly indicates that these politicians are unworthy of office. If they were to run on their individual merits as valid politicians, they would not win elections. What highlights the effect of so-called Trumpism, which many are afraid will well outlast the Trump administration, is that those who apply and get a position in the movement actually have it pretty easy. They need only learn the key words and repeat them when asked. Direct answers to questions are no longer necessary. When asked why you vote for Trump, you need only say, socialism, or my Second Amendment rights. You can even say things like, those liberal Dems, snowflake crybabies, are going to take away my right to complete an unwanted pregnancy. Or, you know what goes on in the invisible fourth dimension basements of every pizza parlor in the USA, and leave it at that. 
Besides not being surprised that there are so many Americans who take that easy way out, thanks to strip malls, institutionalized education, television reality shows, and fast food diets, all of which contribute to a general atrophy of critical thinking, it is a little surprising that so-called Republican men and women currently in office have set aside their own convictions, convictions they were once quite able to express, in order to repeat the mantra required to win those two Senate seats in a state that should not be difficult for them to win. Let's wait until the states certify. And the television networks don't call elections. And he has every right to take this election to court. And... There is nothing to congratulate him for. These should not be the mantras of elected officials. Despite always saying that I left the states in part because of the policies of Ronald Reagan, there were at least some policies. The man himself played the part of president like almost no other before or after him. He managed to surround himself with valid, qualified people who got things done, even if I was not always in accordance with what they were doing. That was the Republican Party I grew up understanding and often disagreeing with. The group of people currently loosely grouped under the Republican, with a small r, label are nothing like that. They are all frightened, hysterical, loud-mouthed enablers, many not showing the little moral intelligence their mothers tried to infuse in them. They are caricatures of politicians, soap opera stars whose episode has ended, or is soon to end. We do have a couple more years of listening to them, but they are on the verge of losing that orangey, shining light at the top of the hill. It will probably not be enough, though, to fill seats with members of the other political parties. Trump did not invent so-called Trumpism. He actually did what he did before becoming president, as he did with the vodka, the steaks, the cologne, the ties, the casinos, the shuttle airline, the university, his children, and dozens of buildings around the world. He branded them with his name, became the rambunctious and raucous spokesman for the product. He did not create any of those. He simply slapped his name in big golden uppercase letters, T-R-U-M-P, claimed the thing as his own. What we are calling Trumpism, now with a lowercase t, thank you, was always there. He just thought he could brand it for himself and make money on it while driving it into the ground. I personally believe that like all those other things he's branded, the brand itself will contribute to the demise of the product. I'm hardly worried about Trumpism continuing as a thing, and hope that in its demise we will be able to reach out to and educate and heal some of the people who were taken in by their leader. Cheers! You're listening to Radio Rebels.